0: From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway Eighty Nine. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. This episode of Highway 89 is made possible by the UC Bierling Society, USA, currently holding their conference in Salt Lake City. We have quite a lineup for music and performers, including a mezzo-soprano from The Met. The president of the UC Bierling Society is Walter Rudolph, who's with me now. Walter, Wally, thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: You have brought us some wonderful music. But before we go any further, remind us who UC Bierling
1: was and what he's known for. Jussi Bjorling was the great lyric tenor of the 20th century. In 1999, a group of music critics in London were asked to identify the 100 greatest singers of the 20th century. There were people on there like Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra, Dietrich Fischer-Dieskau, Hans Hotter, But number one was Jussi Bjorling, the great Swedish tenor.
0: Well, thank you for collecting these performers for this conference. Our first piece will be sung by Rebecca Pedersen, soprano. Rebecca is a senior at BYU and is a winner of the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions. Among her other prizes and accolades, she made her Lincoln Center debut in October 2014. She'll start us off by singing Cecilia by Richard Strauss, a very romantic lead, with lines like, if you but knew sweet what it is to dream of your kisses, the anguish could I but tell you, you'd come sweet to me. (laughs) Whoa! <laughs> done. That was Rebecca Petterson singing Satsilia by Richard Strauss, accompanied by Jared Oaks. This is Highway 89 BYU Broadcasting's live music performance program. Rebecca, we also, we already mentioned that uh, the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions were a big success for you, and I could not help but notice on one of the emails as we prepared to have you come to this that you have this little quote at the bottom of all your emails. It says, quote, "Consecrate your performance to heaven and watch it sparkle with God's approval. Aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in too. Aim at earth, you'll get neither." Who is that from?
2: Oh, dear. I don't actually know.
0: You just like the Um,
2: thought. Well, I've had it on my email for probably three years now. Um, Oh, no. Actually, I remember putting it on my email right after I won the district round in January. And um, there was a lot of fanfare about me doing the Met competition. And I was constantly trying to find things to, one, help me have confidence, but also to keep me grounded. And that was... A quote that I just thought perfectly represented what I view music as and music has always been one of those things where at the end of the day no matter how hard you practice it will never be perfect and in order to have that X factor as most people call it I mean in my faith I'd call it the spirit then I really need to maintain my connection with God or heaven
0: you know, it's interesting. That was a wonderful audition. It was a big uh, accolade, a, a wonderful milestone for you. But for someone like you who performs all the time, it still was just one performance. So are you able to, are you able to, do you feel like you measure your life sort of before and after that? Was that a big turning point or is it just one of the things in, in a row that you've done?
2: Well, actually, as a, I wanted as a sophomore in college and you kind of think when you go into college that, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to just sing now and learn my craft. Yeah, you kind of have to pay dues. I <laughs> didn't actually get to sing much in college. I'd only started singing when I was 18. So it was, it was a big performance in the sense that I had done a lot of church singing and that was about it. So it was a bit terrifying. And yes, I do gauge pre-met and post-Met, a <laughs> I, I lot. Would,
0: I would imagine so. Uh, tell us about this piece you're going to sing, this uh, piece by Jules Massenet.
2: Uh, this is actually one of the pieces um, that I sang at the Met. Um, it's very near and dear to my heart because the text is so conflicted. It's about a woman whose fiance killed her father accidentally, and so she's trying to figure out how How is she supposed to come to terms with loving this man still? And yet he's killed her father. And for me in my life, because my dad wasn't there, it's one of those pieces that I can really sink my whole heart and soul into. And she says at the end, really, there's nothing she can do but weep. Mm.
0: Let's hear this piece. The translation would be "Cry my eyes." It's pleure mes yeux, by Jules Massenet from Act Three of his Le Cid. Rebecca Peterson singing the heartbreaking Pleuré, Mes Yeux by Jules Massonet. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. You're listening to Highway 89. Banner Smith is a tenor. He's performed leading roles in Mozart's Don Giovanni, Die Fledermaus by Johann Strauss, Puccini's Gianni Schicchi, and in La Callisto by Francesco Cavalli. His teachers include San Francisco opera master teacher Cesar Uloa internationally acclaimed mezzo-soprano Dolores Zajic and internationally known voice teacher Daryl Babbage. Banner Smith lives in Utah with his wife and young son. Banner, thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. I have to ask, Banner is a pretty cool name. It's like it, you were born to be on a marquee. Where does that name come from? <laughs>
3: um, it's definitely not a family name. Uh, the story that my dad has told me a number of times was that when he was in uh, medical school, he <laughs> was waiting at a bus stop. And uh, the name clearly came to him and was told that that was what he would name his firstborn son. So,
0: Interesting. Yeah.
3: Nice. Well, how did you get into singing? It's kind of a funny story. I have a sister who uh, is 19 months older than me. I have five adopted sisters, and this one was, uh, <clears throat> how we put it, we fought a lot as kids. And I was given the choice to either take a bus to school for high school or to do a zero-hour class. And she was in the jazz choir, so I decided we'll just keep this competition going a little bit more. And at that point, my mom offered her some voice lessons to pay for them. And about a month later, she offered the same for me. And I thought, well, you know, let's keep this going a little bit further. And um,
0: eventually ended up here with all this. So (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't ask how things are now between the two of you, but (laughs) I'm glad whatever it was got you into singing. I want to ask before you sing... uh, one time, someone asked Pavarotti who he listened to when he was preparing a new opera, and he said Yusuphurling mm-hmm. because he wanted to follow that path. For you, have you picked someone that 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 you sort of listen to for inspiration?
3: The tenor that I listen to most, or the one that I find most closely, and the reason why is um, is Fritz Wunderlich, um, and the reason that I find him sort of the best for me to listen to is it some of the things that he would say about singing is that it's all natural. It needs to be the most natural comfortable position that it should be and you'll have the best sound to come out and that's for me what I found is the best. Well tell us about this Beethoven piece you're going to sing. So this is a, a piece that I actually learned when I was quite a bit younger um, and it's a piece that I've always loved. It's you're talking about a uh, basically a friend or someone that you love walking through a garden. You're describing all these different feelings using sort of different visions that you have of this
0: person and different ways that they affect you. Well, let's hear the piece. This is by Beethoven. It's Adelaida. And uh, a rough translation of one of the stanzas says, in the reflection of the river and the snows of the Alps and the golden clouds of sinking day in the fields of stars, thy face beams forth. Adelaida.
4: Oh, fun, oh, darling.
0: We just heard tenor Banner Smith singing Adelaida by Beethoven live on Highway 89, accompanied by Jared Oakes. It's so nice to have these opera singers in the studio because not only do you hear wonderful sound, but I love to see them live the role or the song, and it just uh, always uh, transports me. Our next guest is Carla Rae Cook. She's a dramatic mezzo-soprano. She's been hailed as one of the world's great Wagnerians. She's performed nine different leading roles in Wagner's Four Opera Ring Cycle at leading opera houses around the world, including the Metropolitan Opera. Ms. Cook is currently head of the Atlantic Music Festival Opera Programme. Carla Rae Cook, thank you so much for being with us.
5: Thank you very much. It, it's nice to be here. Thank you. Oh, it's thank an you.
0: honor for us to have you. Now, I have to ask, dramatic mezzo-soprano, I assume that's referring to your voice, right? Yes.
5: Yeah, so a dramatic has a different kind of a quality than a lyric or even a spinto or a coloratura. A dramatic voice has to have um, a fullness of sound that will carry over the orchestra with ease.
0: Definitely needed for the forces amassed by Richard Wagner with his with his opera orchestra, some of the biggest
5: yes, that and there that, are. That's right. His orchestras are over, some of them, 150 players, and we don't use microphones, you know.
0: Well, since our studio is in Utah, we're also very proud to mention your bachelor's of music education from the University of Utah before you went on to receive uh, higher degrees from Boston University and the Manhattan School of Music. So welcome back.
5: Thank you very much.
0: Wagnerian roles are known for their difficulty not only musically, those demands of singing over the orchestra, but sometimes even dramatic cumbersome costumes and even physical demands, whether you're a Valkyrie or whether you're (laughs) climbing some dramatic mountain set. Do you have a few roles that you remember as the most challenging for, for whatever reasons?
5: Oh, yes. Singing Wagner is like being an athlete. First, you have to prepare months and months in advance, just physical strength. Mm. Then by the time you get into your rehearsals, you have to monitor how many times you actually sing through the roles because there are four operas in the ring cycle and the rehearsal periods with the orchestra are scheduled. So you have to literally schedule your amount of sound time, if you will, (laughs) between the roles. And then when you mount the stage, and most opera uh, productions are done on what they call a raked stage so that the sound will go out to the audience. In Bayreuth, they have the raked stage most of the time for these Wagnerian operas. So tilted operas. towards mm-hmm. the
0: audience, sloping down yes, towards Yes, in that. fact,
5: it came from the old um, theater in the 1500s. That was the way that they would create the sound so it would go out. That is correct. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: So did you ever get into one of these roles and just think, what have I gotten myself oh. into?
5: <laughs> one of the cha- most challenging, Valtraute in Die Valkyrie, she is the head Valkyrie and she has to sit on a horse in the in one of the Seattle productions. And they literally had uh, people on the ropes that would take us up to the top of the stage and fly us through the <laughs> through the smoke. And in San Francisco, we'd have the rocks that we'd have to do this. And, and the Met had this big kind of a circle. And if you didn't get to your circle on time, your colleague's spear would <laughs> right at you. It was really quite, and <laughs> quite a drama. During all
0: this time, you're g- giving your best vocal production.
5: Oh, <laughs> yes, you do. And then the with the uh, in the Götterdammerung, she has um, a very uh, stark moment where she has to carry the whole weight of the ring, uh, vocally, dramatically. It's really, it's one of the most incredible experiences singing Wagner with the ring. And, and the wonderful conductors and your colleagues and the halls and the audience, it's, it's, truly, it's truly an inspired work. It's amazing.
0: Well, what a feeling of accomplishment to have done that for so many roles for you.
5: You know, I started thinking, how many times have I sung one of those roles? How many years? How many productions? How much rehearsal time? I mean, all of these singers have this. Then to actually do the production, I think I, you know, just singing, what, about 800, 900 Wagnerian operas, and then to do all those rehearsals, is that up to like, entire over how many years, years of your life singing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so thankful my voice is still fine. So.
0: <laughs> well, we're so going to ask you to, to show some very different shades on this piece yes. you're going to sing because there are five movements mm-hmm. and they each have a very different mood. Yeah, this is a a recent composition. Uh, Tell us about this.
5: Yes. Eric uh, uh, Whitaker is um, a friend and colleague of mine. He wrote these songs. He was inspired by his wife, who wrote the lyrics. And they're Hebrew love songs. And they were kind of engagement songs. And he's written them for piano, for first violin, and for... Uh, actually soprano, and then he's made other arrangements with the string quartet. So that's the one we're doing today. We're going to be doing the string quartet arrangement with piano and with voice.
0: Let's hear these five Hebrew love songs. This is by Eric Whitaker, text by Hila Plitman, Whitaker's wife. Uh, Five different sections. English translations are A Picture, The Light Bride, Mostly, what snow and finally tenderness. We want to introduce the pianist and the string quartet. Elizabeth Palmer is our first violinist, concertmaster of the Salt Lake Symphony. Rebecca Fulmer, second violinist, performs with the orchestra at Temple Square, as does violist Kathleen Anderson, who is currently a member of the has played with the Utah Symphony. Larissa Humphreys is a cellist who maintains a large cello studio in Bountiful, Utah. And finally, Monica Hymas Rasmussen, the pianist, holds a bachelor's and master's degrees from the BYU School of Music and is currently a freelance pianist in Salt Lake City. Now we'll hear five Hebrew love songs. Shut Mezzo-soprano Carla Ray Cook singing Eric Whitaker's five Hebrew love songs. I'm so happy to hear that for my very first time with the string quartet. And I should mention one of the unique features of this piece is the soprano is also the tambourinist. And I have to say, Carla Ray Cook, during one very creative moment of a page turn, um, actually used her head instead of her other hand so she could get that, I thought. Very well done, very well done. Uh, I'm Stephen kapp You're listening to Highway 89. Jared Oakes is our final performer. He holds degrees in piano performance and choral conducting from Brigham Young University. He's a native of Tacoma, Washington, and since 2008, he's the assistant music director of Ballet West in Salt Lake City. Piano performance and choral conducting, Jared, how much overlap is there?
6: Lots, I think. It's all just music? Is that the... (laughs) Well, it's... It's all music. It's all collaboration. It doesn't have to be at the piano, but I prefer it that way. Well, I've been watching you as so you've played with, with everyone and just so
0: sensitive to even the breaths. That's uh, I love it when I see an accompanist
6: feeling like they're actually breathing with the singer. I have to rely on the singer to breathe because they're my reminder to breathe. (laughs) We can't have you keeling
0: over. Well, tell me about your training. What kind of training did you get as a choral conductor
6: that uh, was most useful to you? Well, I studied with Ron Staley at at Brigham Young University, who has just retired. He focused on analysis, uh, simplicity, uh, and beauty of gesture, he stressed a, a sort of cleanliness in the approach to conducting. And, and those things really helped later when I was working with uh, the Ballet West Orchestra. So that means no, no wasted gestures? Or... No wasted gestures, but to be as expressive as possible with smaller means. Um, it was also important for him that we try to connect uh, to the musicians. I think that's important for any great conductor and in the pit I found that we didn't have very much time to rehearse and we needed to be as clear as possible and my my friend and mentor Terence Kern at the ballet uh, who had been conducting there since the late 80s said the first thing is always to be clear. Well finally I want to ask about
0: your uh... Your anthologies, because you seem to always be working on, on projects
6: besides w- whatever else you're doing. And tell me about these two anthologies you're putting together. Well, these two anthologies are sort of unicorns in my life, and my friends know that because I'm always talking about them, but no one's ever seen them. Uh, one was uh, funded through or is being funded and supported by the American Scandinavian Foundation, And that was to create a new anthology, a a much-needed anthology of of early operatic arias from Sweden. And most people would say, well, I've never heard of them. So what's the point? Well, that's the point. You've never heard of them, so I I want to make them available. And I, I went to Sweden to do that research a number of times. And the other anthology is one that... Is close to my heart because I, I'm a native of Tacoma, Washington, but I've been here now for uh, enough years that this feels like home. Mm. And I've met so many wonderful composers whose works aren't known uh, due to lack of publication, lack of recordings, um, and th- these are common issues that face composers. And with such a rich choral tradition in this state, and I want to try to overcome some of uh, some of that.
0: Um, Let us know when those, when those are completed, because that's an interesting interesting resource. I wonder if you'd introduce uh, this next piece we're going to hear. It's a piano piece by a Swedish composer, Anders Eliasson, if I got that right. Eliasson. Il- One more time. Eliasson. Eliasson.
6: Thank you. Uh, tell me about uh, what this has, because there is a connection with UC Bierling. When Walter contacted me to ask if I would be willing to help with this, of course I said yes because it, it's a Scandinavian thing and, and um, I would never turn a Scandinavian down. <laughs> My first thought was to find some ways to incorporate something relevant to Jussi Björling. Well, he was born in the same town that Anders Schliason hmm. uh, was born in, Borlänge. And uh, even though Anders Eliasson was born in 47, uh, died in 2013, I, I felt that there would maybe be some kind of connection, or we could at least imagine one as we listen to the music.
0: Well, let's hear this piece. Jared Oakes is going to be playing for us this piece by Anders Eliasson. This is Diseño Number no. 3. A rough translation might be Images or Pictures. We've just heard Jared Oaks performing De Number No. 3 by Anders Eliasson, live on Highway 89. Thanks to each of our performers today and to Walter Rudolph, current president of the UC Bierling Society. Thank you so much for coming today.
1: It's been wonderful to be here. Thank you.
0: This whole program has been inspired by the artistry of UC Bierling, and he's inspired you throughout your life. I know you're a fan, but you're also a singer yourself. Well, I have a bit, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell me about this conference, how often it meets, and where is it? Can it be anywhere in the world?
1: The conference is with the American Society. There are three societies, Scandinavia and the U.K. as well. We meet normally every other year. This happens to be the third year since we've met, uh, the first time we've met in the western part of the United States. And you have musicologists
0: coming from all over.
1: We have people from Italy, from Sweden, from Chile, and all over the United States, oh, and, and certainly some of the most important scholars in the realm of UCology.
0: And is this always, is this the first time to be held here in Salt Lake City? Oh yes, definitely. Well, I'm glad you're hosting this. Tell us the website if people would like to find out more about the organization. UCBierlingSociety.org. Very nice, very memorable. We are always glad to hear from our listeners. We welcome comments and questions you might have about the program. To contact us, simply email us at highway89 at byu.edu and follow our Twitter and Instagram feeds at BYUH. 89. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. Our recording engineer is Mark Waite, our student assistant is Abby Horlocker, and the show's producer is Jackie Tataishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening.